0: Thank you for all your help with the fireworks, those have been working. We've had a crew working around the clock, it seems like, Um, and appreciate all the effort that's been put in, as we're, uh, two more days, and then the cleanup on on Tuesday, I think that's the day, the 5th, and uh, appreciate all the hard work, appreciate the participation, the people who are buying the fireworks and sending people to buy our fireworks. Brenton continues to collect shoes, sneakers that you don't need anymore. And then they have another fundraiser for ladies next Saturday at 1 o'clock right here. Uh, Bunko, a $10 buy-in that helps to raise funds to get rid of Brenton. Send Brenton to YWAM to uh, be trained to uh, travel the world with Youth With a Mission. Uh, also take note, we have a, a note that came from um, Slavic through John Burley, uh, Berkeley, our uh, missions director for Grace International in regards to things that are taking place in Mikulayev, um in the Ukraine and take note of what else is in there. Um, one other prayer request is Jimmy Burchett passed away on Thursday night. Um, Skyler's brother-in-law Susie and Jimmy before COVID were here every Sunday and every Wednesday Uh, but he's had some real physical challenges in the past few months and he was ready to go home in fact he wanted to go home to see Jesus and he got his wish on Thursday evening so remember Susie and the family uh, during this time as they process all of that Tomorrow's a national holiday, you all knew that, commemorating the day a group of men signed the Declaration of Independence on behalf of the 13 states 246 years ago. If I remember my history correctly, they actually signed it a couple days before, but made it public on July the 4th, 1776. I want to read to you, at the beginning of the message this morning, one more time, the Declaration of Independence. It begins this way, the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate an equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it, to institute a new government, laying its foundation on such principles, organizing its power in such form, as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence, indeed, will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light or transient causes. And accordingly, all experience has shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer, while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies and such now is the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. The history of the present King of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. To prove this, let facts be submitted to a candid world. Then a list about 27 charges, and I will skip those. The last part, it says, We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America, in general Congress, assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions do in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved, that is a free and independent state. They have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, do all their acts and things which independent states may have right do. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, our sacred honor. We are here today because there was a group of people who said enough is enough. We can no longer allow ourselves to be ruled in this manner. We came here to fight for liberty, for freedom, and or we came here to find it, and now we're gonna fight for it. And for seven years, Revolutionary War took place. During that time, It is estimated that 217,000 men fought for the Continental Army. 6,200 were wounded. 4,435 made the ultimate sacrifice of giving their lives for what they believed in. It was March 23, 1775, a little over a year before July 4, 1776, at the Richmond Convention, where they met in St. John's Church in Richmond, Virginia. The purpose of this meeting was to discuss the establishment of a militia to revolt against King George III and the British Empire. During the course of the debate, Patrick Henry stood and he cried out, Gentlemen, they cry, Peace, peace, but there is no peace. Is life so dear, peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of change and slavery? Forbid it, almighty God. I know what what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. I encourage you to Google or whatever. Look in your, you all have encyclopedias at home, right? I think I saw them in my parents' back storage club. Um, read about the life of Patrick Henry, commander of Virginia's military forces, governor of Virginia for four terms. They wanted him, in fact, he didn't run for the fifth term, but they voted him in anyway, and he said, I'm not going to do it. Uh, the presidents tried to appoint him to several different places. He, he declined all those offers. But I want to share some of these words from him he said it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists but by christians not on religions but on the gospel of jesus christ his last testament his last will and testament was filed in the brook neal county courthouse in virginia if you read the will you'll discover that he bequeathed everything to his children as many people do. But the last paragraph of his will is this. I have now given everything I own to my children. There's one thing I wish I could give them, and that is Christ. But if they have everything I gave them and don't have Christ, they have nothing. Patrick Henry seems to have been a man with an active faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And he had a firm understanding that freedom is a gift of God that can only be maintained by faith in God. He comes to this conclusion that freedom is a gift of God that can only be maintained by faith in God. I have said it numerous times and numerous ways over the decades uh, of the independence days that I have lived, I am so thankful to have been born in the United States of America. I am so thankful that my passport says I'm a citizen of this great land. And I do not believe it would be out of line for me to spend some time uh, talking about our history as a nation and our future. But I just want to reiterate the song that we started with this morning, God... Bless America. God, pour out your spirit in a divine visitation upon America. When I finally got a few minutes to sit down at my desk yesterday to think about today, and uh, thinking that I was going to sit down and go to Romans chapter 15, and in fact I did, and I began to read again where we were going to pick up in the 14th verse, talking about the Apostle Paul. But there was a word that just kept coming to my mind, and it's the title of the message this morning, Freedom. Freedom. And by that, I'm not talking about the Bill of Rights and the Constitution of the United States, as wonderful as those freedoms are. And we need to keep praying that those freedoms be protected. But they are not the most important freedoms that have been made available to us. I want to think about the words of Jesus in John chapter 8, beginning with verse 31. John chapter 8 is a very interesting passage in in John's gospel. Some very important teachings where Jesus is dealing with a group of people who are doing everything they can to get rid of him. The first part of that chapter begins with the story of the lady that they caught in the act of adultery. Remember, the religious guys were trying to t- trap Jesus. The law says to stone her to death, what do you say? And um, so he said, well, the first person without sin, you can cast the first stone. Um, they didn't give up easily. He talks to them. He's talking back and forth about the fact he's the light of the world. And they take him to task for claiming to be deity. And he just declares that that's who he is. But in the course of his talking with these Pharisees and some of the Sadducees are trying to trap him, there were people who began to believe in him. And we pick it up in verse 31 where it says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word... You're truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered, we are offspring of Abraham, and we've never been enslaved to anyone. That statement just blows my mind. At that particular moment, they're underneath of the rule of the Roman Empire. And if you read the Old Testament... Over and over and over, they were subservient to some other nation because of their idolatry and forsaking God. But it's amazing how... Oh, I'll just go on. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. In this context, Jesus challenges the thinking of the Jewish people who have a desire to be Christ's followers. He wants them to know that there is a place of freedom that can be found nowhere else. Jesus said, number one, truth will set you free. Truth will set you free. And Jesus just happened to say, I am the truth, the way, and the life. He is truth. At the risk of sounding melodramatic and manipulative, What I sensed in my spirit yesterday sitting at my desk was that there are some people today who need to have a Patrick Henry moment on a spiritual level. Give me liberty or give me death. Lord, I want nothing but you and the truth to reign in my life. Truth that will set me free. Set me free Letter A, the first thing that comes to my mind is from wrong thinking. Set me free from wrong thinking. Truth addresses our minds and our hearts. It's a matter of right thinking. I think a few weeks ago we talked about stinking thinking. And um, the enemy comes to deceive. The scripture said even to deceive them. The elect. But the Lord has come with truth in his word. If your word abide in my word, he said, that abide in your word, that our thinking will be right. There are people in the sound of my voice this morning living in a bondage or slavery at some point, either on an emotional level, a relational level, or spiritual level, because you believe something that's not truth. There are people who find it difficult to come to church and to sit inside the sanctuary because they feel inferior to other people. They don't feel like they're as smart as other people. They're not as well dressed in their opinion. They feel like other people are talking behind their back. They feel like, I I have no talents, I have no gifts to give. Who am I? I'm such a nobody, such a loser. But you need to know the truth that will set you free. The truth is, you were created in the image of God. And if you have opened your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can say these things. Number one, I am a child of God. I am a child of God. John 1, 12, To as many as received him, he gave the power to be called or to become the children of God. Not only am I a child of God, but number two, I am one of his masterpieces. I am one of his masterpieces. Paul said in Ephesians 2.10, we are God's workmanship, created to do good works that are prepared for us to do way back when. We are God's workmanship. The, The Greek word is the word we get poem from. I am the result of God's creative moments. You are a unique creation of God. There's not another person on the planet who's identical to you. You say, but I have an identical twin. Even identical twins are not absolutely identical. Every person is a unique individual. Zechariah, the people of God are referred to as the apple of his eye. Zechariah ends with this picture of God singing songs over his children. I don't know if you ever thought about God singing songs over you, but if you read the last chapter of Zechariah, it talks about that he loves his people and it causes him to sing songs. Now you'll have to remember back to when you were holding your babies and you were saying songs to them. That feeling of love, that feeling of intimacy with that child. And some people can't even sing, sing songs to their kids. Warp their kids for the retinal. I'm But God sings songs. I'm a child of God. If you've asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. That's what... He will forgive you of your sins and he'll be the Lord of your life. That's what he's trying to tell these people in John chapter 8. you find this freedom. The truth is, I am loved by God. I am loved by God. How do I know? Jesus loves me, this I know. What's the next line? For the Bible tells me so. 1 John 4.10 said, This is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us. Sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. John 3.16, For God so loved the world, God so loved me. You and I were created with a couple of inherent needs, emotional needs, spiritual needs. One of those needs is to be loved unconditionally. Warts, pimples, just as I am, to be loved. And the truth is, God loves you very, very much. Pastor received a letter once from a young woman. In the final paragraph of the letter said this, Pastor, on the outside I'm a very together, independent, successful woman. On the inside I'm a broken-hearted, frightened little girl who just wants her mom and dad to hold her and tell her she's the most precious special person in the world, wouldn't trade her for anything. Can you please help me? What do you say to a woman in that position? Just hang on. Someday your parents will come around and tell you those things. Can you guarantee that? No, but you can teach her the truth. What's the truth? Bible said, God loves you. God's love is available. And His love is liberating. His love will set you free. Romans 5.5, 5, God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. He can open your heart to the love of Christ. And the love will be poured in. And the number one place that we need to find our significance, and I think I've said it a couple times in the past three months, is in Jesus Christ. And his love for us. And you know what? It will go beyond just being an intellectual thing. I've had those moments in my life where I've just been overwhelmed. In the midst of circumstances, I knew they took place because there was a Father in heaven who loved me. And the only explanation for why whatever took place at that moment was because there was a God watching out for me there's a God who loves me. And you have that sense of His presence. And when you have that sense of God's love, the whole world changes for you. And the way that you relate to people, you're able to experience intimacy and fellowship with other people. Love from God comes to replace despair with hope. But if you are ever going to be free, it's going to take the truth plus the liberating power of love. I'm a child of God. I'm one of his masterpieces. He loves me. Truth number four, I am free from guilt and condemnation. I am free from guilt and condemnation. Romans 8, 1 says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We sang several songs this morning about the blood. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. If you go back to verse 7 in that same chapter, it's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin there's a column that has appeared in newspapers for as long as I've been alive. Um, It used to be called Ann Landers, and then her sister was Dear Abby, and now there's Dear Annie, because those other two have gone to wherever Jewish people go. Um, But Ann Landers, when she... um, came to the point where she was going to retire from doing the column, she wrote a book um, and uh, about her experience as the newspaper's answer lady. In the book she says one of the most difficult things that people struggle with is guilt and shame. She wrote, I received letters brimming with self recognition. Letters that prove no punishment is so painful as the self-inflicted kind. Here's a Three examples that are in her book. She said, I let my boyfriend go too far. Now when he sees me, he looks the other way. I'm so ashamed of myself, I could just die. Another lady writes, I threw a dish towel on my mother-in-law's face. She was trying to be helpful and I lost my temper. I hate myself. Some student wrote, I got caught cheating in a history exam today. All the kids know about it. I feel rotten. Find that in Ann Landers' Encyclopedia A to Z. No matter how many freedoms this nation gives to us, it cannot give us freedom from guilt and shame imposed by our sins and our failures. I've quoted it before a poem by Hazel Fellman. I wish there was some wonderful place called the land of beginning again, where all our mistakes and all our heartaches and all our selfish griefs could be cast like a shabby old coat at the door and never be put on again. There is a place, a place of beginning again. If any man is in Christ Jesus, old things are passed away all things become new. Jesus paid the full price for my sin and guilt. When he cried out on the cross, it is finished. It is finished. He used a word that comes from the accounting, CPAs. Paid in full. Paid in full. If you have confessed your sins and asked Jesus Christ to cleanse you with your blood, your sins have been washed away forever. I don't understand it, but that's what the Scripture says. To, never, to remove as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered against me anymore, cast into the sea of God's forgetfulness and Corrie ten Boom says that then there's no fishing signs been put up my sins have been forgiven this morning um, there's a whole lot of theological things that I would like to share about freedom but I compelled to zero in on um, a freedom that we find Jesus talking about in Matthew uh, chapter 18. It's the day that Peter came to Jesus and said, well, Jesus was talking to them and talking to him about, if your brother sinned against you, go to him and all of this and be reconciled. If you can't be reconciled, take a couple other people with you and work at it. Um, and Peter listened to all this and said, Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven? And you remember Jesus' response was 70 times seven, or some of the new translations say 77 times. Re- the number is, it doesn't really matter whether it's 77 or 490. What Jesus was saying is, who's counting? Who's counting? He said, Peter, I want you to think of it this way there was a king who decided he needed to settle accounts with all of his servants. And he said, the kingdom of heaven is like this king and his servants. And the first man, he said, that there's a man who owed him 10,000 talents. A talent was a unit of weight, about 75 pounds in the Old Testament. And then if you look at the New Testament, and there was a, 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 it was a, a way of counting money. It really wasn't a coin. But it was a way of counting money. And Jesus is using the extreme hyperbole. Extreme hyperbole. And uh, in today's dollar, 10,000 talents would be about $6 billion. According to my ESV study Bible footnotes. Jesus was telling a story about a debt a man could not pay. He brings him in and says, listen, dude, you owe me 10,000 talents. I want that money, and I want it now. And he said, you need to put him and his wife and his children in debtor's prison. They couldn't be in debtor's prison long enough to pay off that debt. So, verse 26 says this So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Have patience. What's this man asking for? Have patience with me, I'll pay you everything. The way Jesus tells that story, he's asking for more time. Have patience because he thinks he can figure out a way to make good on what he owes he's asking for more time to figure out a way to make good on what he owes somehow I'll figure it out with my own ingenuity my own efforts so the king said okay you got a year anybody read the bible you got a decade. I'll give you 20 years at 10% interest. Verse 27 says this, And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him, forgave him the debt. He forgave him the debt. Jesus wants us to understand, wants Peter to understand, that's what God does for us when we put our faith in him. When we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, God forgives us of our sin because of what Jesus did. Isaiah said, My sins, though like scarlet, they're white as snow. Though they be crimson, they shall be as wool. There is absolutely no way that you and I can pay for our sins. We are saved by grace through faith alone. No one is saved by works lest they should boast. The king forgave him the debt. I left that blank so you'd write that in. Forgave him the debt. Now, I realize in the parable, we've got to be careful about how many truths we try to pull out because Jesus is is trying to make a point here about forgiving my brother. This guy owed a debt that he could not pay. He leaves the king's chambers with the possibility of being a free man regarding that debt he could not pay. Verse 28 said, but when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. Seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. Now, a hundred denarii is about 20 weeks of of work for a common laborer. A sizable amount of money, but nothing compared to six billion. This man who had been forgiven everything did not believe he'd been forgiven. Why is he wanting this money from this other guy? He's trying to figure out a way to pay off that debt. Verse 30, when the man says, give me mercy, he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Other servants tattled. There's always somebody to tattle somebody went and tattled reported back that you won't believe what we saw take place the king was not happy he called the servant back in that he'd forgiven that massive debt he had mercy on you that you should have so why didn't you have mercy on your brother i want to remind you paul writes in ephesians chapter 4 be kind to one another tender hearted forgiving one another as god in christ Forgave you. Be kind to one another. Forgiving one another. How? As God in Christ forgave you. That's what this king is saying to this ungrateful servant. I forgave you. You need to pass that forgiveness on. So verse 34 of Matthew 18 says this. And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers. The footnote on my ESV Bible, and, and if you look at that word in the, the Greek language, it could be translated to the torturers. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers, to the torturers, until he should pay all his debt. Verse 35 said this So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother. From your heart. Here's the truth. Unforgiveness puts me in an emotional prison. Unforgiveness puts me in an emotional prison. When I refuse to forgive, I choose not to forgive, I make myself a perpetual victim. When I chose to withhold forgiveness, I give all the power to that person who offended me, and they don't even know it. What do you mean by power? When I don't forgive someone, what happens when I see that person? That anger comes up. When somebody mentions their name, that anger comes up. Pretty soon it turns into resentment and bitterness. He said, I delivered them to the to the jailers to be tortured until he paid back every bit. When I do not forgive, I put myself in a position where I'm in bondage to the other person. I'm bondage to a grudge that I have inside. In the Sermon on the Mountain, Jesus said these words in Matthew 6:14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now I realize as I'm laying out these scriptures and I was typing them up and putting them on the page that it could sound like that I've come in to lay a guilt trip on somebody today that's harboring a grudge. That is not my intention at all. My intention is to speak about the fact that Jesus Christ has purchased freedom for us. Freedom that we can experience no matter what has happened to us. Because He forgiven us, we can forgive those who've hurt us. We've been given the power to make a choice to live in freedom. Freedom from hate. Freedom from the power of sin over our lives. By chance yesterday afternoon, anybody believe him by chance? One of the several occasions that I went from there to there and from here to there and here to there uh, on the campus yesterday, taking care of things that need to be taken care of for the fireworks and the crew, walking by my bookcase, my attention was caught to the point that I literally stopped and pulled a book out that I have not looked at for I don't know how many years. And uh, I just looked at the book and I just flipped it open. That's all I did, flipped it open. And when I flipped it open, and I'm not saying this is a great way to study, but when I flipped it open, it came to forgiving. Chapter Summary And uh, There was something I told you before That this word freedom Just been Resonating in my mind all day long Even though I was thinking about going to Romans chapter 15 So we can get done with Romans It's almost been a year um, But I opened up and I read this portion of the chapter. The chapter is divided into a couple places. And I'm going to do something that I don't know I've ever done before. But I'm going to read to you this portion of this chapter. This book is written by Joel Manby. Um, he is the CEO, or he was a CEO at that particular time of the Herson Family Entertainment. They had more entertainment parks around the country than any other place. Um... And uh, he's married to a lady named Markey. The title of this chapter is Mary Lou McCully. Mary Lou McCully was Marky's aunt and a very special woman who taught me more about the power of forgiveness than any person in my life. She exemplified that one act of forgiveness can ripple across hundreds or thousands of lives across multiple generations. Mary Lou Hoboff married Ed McCauley in June 1951. Both loved God, loved each other, and looked forward to a wonderful life together. Ed was a talented man with a bright future. He graduated from Wheaton College in 1949, near the top of his class, the senior class president, and a national Hearst Corporation debating champion. After one year of law school, he decided, along with some close friends and their wives, to move to Ecuador as missionaries. They planned to live among the Wadani, an isolated, hostile tribe deep in the rainforest. In order to reach the Wadani, the young missionaries needed to earn their trust. They began flying over the jungle regularly, even dropping gifts from the airplane, and the Wadani reciprocated by placing gifts in a basket suspended in one spot from the tight circling plane. After months of friendly air-to-land contact, the five men flew the bright yellow plane into the jungle, landed on a small strip of sandy beach. They set up camp at Palm Beach. That's in parentheses. That's what they named it. Palm Beach on Tuesday, January 3rd, 1956. On Friday... After three days without seeing anyone else, the missionary spotted a Wadani man and two Wadani women calmly walking out of the jungle. Their interaction lasted for a few hours as the men did their best to communicate with a common language. without a common language. The Wadani seemed to be in good spirits when they left. On Sunday, things changed. As he was flying the plane back into the jungle, one of the missionaries, Nate Saint, spotted a group of 10 Wadani headed toward Palm Beach. Just past noon, Nate radioed his wife, Marge, said, looks like the Wadani will be here for the early afternoon service. Pray for us. This is the day. We'll contact you next at 4.30. The missionaries, including Aunt Mary Lou's husband, Ed, were never seen alive again. All five of the young men died on the points of Wadani Spears. But that's not where the story ends. The men left behind five wives, nine children, and news of their death was quickly broadcast around the world and on the front page of Life magazine. Many people questioned why the men had gone in the first place, while many others called for revenge on the Wadani. There was ample confusion and debate. For the wives, however, everything was clear. They all chose to forgive the Wadani, powerfully demonstrating that love is really a verb. I asked Mary Lou how she could possibly forgive the people who murdered her husband. She nearly dismissed this question saying, that's what God would ask us to do. That's what God did for us. Besides, being bitter wasn't going to help me and it wasn't going to bring Ed back. Instead of giving in to hate and despair, the wives chose to follow the ripple of their husband's loving example. The ripple wasn't done spreading. Six months after the murders, Elizabeth Elliot, the wife of Jim Elliot, one of the missionaries, Rachel Saint, Nate's sister, befriended a Wadani woman named Dayuma who had fled the tribe Together, they decided to return to the jungle, complete the work the men had started. Can you imagine? Yet Rachel and Elizabeth, along with their young daughter, Valerie moved into the jungle to live with the Wadoni. The women not only survived among the Wadoni, but they, appeared, they helped transform the culture of violence into a culture of love and respect. Before their arrival, anthropologists, who studied the Wadani described them as the most violent people group they'd ever seen. They were killing themselves off and heading toward extinction. But then the ripple spread. Love and forgiveness are a better way to live. The Wadani began to change their way of life, choosing peace instead of violence. It was later learned that the five missionaries had a gun during the attack and did not use it on the Wadani. He instead fired it into the air in an attempt to scare off the attackers. Mary Lou told Marky and me, our husbands discussed whether or not they would use their guns on the Wadani and decided not to. They felt that they were all ready for heaven, but the Wadani were not. Sometimes leading with love takes an amazing amount of courage. Rachel spent the rest of her life with the tribe, dying of cancer at the age of 80. Still, the rebel effects of forgiveness continue to this day. Marky has taken two of our daughters, Rin and Aaron, to live for a week in the Wadani in the jungle in Ecuador, along with members of the five men's extended families. On that trip, Marky and the girls befriended a man named Minkei one of the 10 Wadani warriors in the killing party. he became become a changed man. Later, Minkay made a trip to the United States. He and Steve Saint joined Stephen Curtis Chapman, a contemporary Christian recording artist on tour telling this amazing story. While in the States, menkay also attended the graduation of Jesse Saint, Nate Saint's grandson. Why? because Min is Jesse's godfather and had baptized Jesse in the same river where he helped kill Jesse's grandfather 40 years before. There was no good to be seen in this tragedy at the time those five men were killed in 1956. However, now we can see that an entire tribe was changed forever, turned from hatred toward love. The ripple effect of forgiveness is powerful. Just think how history could have been different. What if the women had held a grudge? Nobody would blame them. They had a right to be bitter. They had a right to immediately flee Ecuador. But if they had, they would have been stripped of the opportunity to help transform this Stripes' future. In your notes, I have... a forgiving someone who wrongs you. He goes on to say, I remember clearly when Marky first told me this story. I thought this can't be true. Nobody would go back into the jungle to minister savage troop that had just killed their spouses. Who could forgive in that situation? When I spent sufficient time with Mary Lou, however, I could see she was a rare person. Gentle and kind, but tough as nails at the same time. She was a woman at peace with herself and with God. She lived with no resentment and had chosen a life of forgiveness. Chosen is a key word. Forgiveness is a choice. Chosen is a key word. Mary Lou's life demonstrates that it isn't about what happened to us so much as it is about how we react. It isn't about what has happened to us so much as it is about how we react. Her forgiveness was indeed a choice, just as agape love is a choice. In one sense, this story seems impossible to relate to. What do the decisions of a handful of women 50 years ago in Ecuador jungle have to do with leading a modern organization? Once we understand that forgiveness can cause unimaginable positive transformation, we see how essential these women's model is for the leaders of the day. Let's face it, as leaders, we have opportunities either to hold a grudge or forgive. The choices are to make. I'm not pretending for one minute that forgiveness is easy. The opposite is true. Just as leading with love is not easy, it takes work and sometimes counterintuitive. I'll just pause and say that again. Forgiveness is not easy, but it's a choice that has to be made. Because when we choose to forgive others, it releases our anger and allows a deep wound to heal. When we choose to forgive others, it releases our anger and allows a deep wound to heal. Bearing a grudge keeps a wound open. And although we don't always realize it, we're the ones who are harmed rather than the ones who harmed us. If we don't forgive, anger lives in us. Angry leaders create fear in an organization. They can lead employees to avoid risk and please the angry boss at all costs. This will not maximize an organization. Forgiveness... Releases you, not the person you are forgiving. Forgiveness releases you, not the person you're forgiving. I don't forgive for that person's sake. I forgive for my sake. Unless the McCourt puts this, this is not in your notes, but I put it on the screen. Resentment is like taking poison and waiting for the other person to die. If you don't think, remember anything else about forgiveness today, think about that one. Resentment is like taking poison and waiting for the other person to die. A lack of forgiveness makes us unattractive. We can lose respect as a leader. Have you ever gone to a class reunion and talked to an old classmate who's stuck in life? An incident occurred that they cannot forget. Since they cannot forgive, their life remains forever stuck in the same spot. They're still angry and unable to move forward. I think Jeff Henderson, pastor of Buckhead Church, is right. We need to release the grip of the grudge. We need to release the grip of the grudge. Forgiveness is not easy. It doesn't always turn out as a plan, but it's always the right thing to do. An act of forgiveness is like a pebble in a pond. Ripples can continue far beyond our ability to know. And the final question, is there someone you need to forgive? Is there someone you need to forgive? We're going to sing Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone, I've Been Set Free. And I want to challenge whoever it is that the Holy Spirit is zeroing in on you today to allow those chains to be broken by determining in your heart I'm going to forgive that person or persons. I'm not telling you you have to restore that relationship, but you have to let that hurt go and give it to God to be able to walk in freedom, real freedom. Jesus said, the truth will set you free. And this is one of the truths of the scriptures. I must forgive. Let's stand and sing it. and Then we're going to have a moment of prayer together.